If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. It's a special show today. I am thrilled to have our very first in-studio guest, and we are live at Sirius XM for that, and it's a special guy. Uh, it could not have come at a better time either. In just moments, I will be joined by former Attorney General William Barr. What a day to have him, right? Um, as we were preparing for this interview, a disturbing development out of the United States Supreme Court, a leak unlike any we have ever seen before. Late yesterday, the website Politico, revealing that the court has voted to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's the 1973 decision on abortion. Why we have this news before we have the court opinion is because someone did something very unethical and deeply upsetting, uh, no matter where your position is on the actual case law that, that, that they're deciding. The news comes just months after the justices heard arguments on a Mississippi law that makes most abortions illegal after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Somehow Politico got its hands on an early draft of the decision. It's dated February, written by Justice Samuel Alito, one of the court's conservatives, calling Roe, quote, egregiously wrong from the start and saying, quote, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Moments ago, Chief Justice John Roberts acknowledged that the document is authentic, but stressed that it does not represent the final position of the court. Indeed, the justices go back and forth on their positions until the opinions are actually issued. This one was expected to come out in June. In addition, it's important to note that this does not make abortion illegal in America. If this winds up being the final decision, it would likely lead to stricter limits on abortion access in some 22 to 26 states, however. But putting all of that aside, perhaps the even bigger story, at least for today and this week, is the leak itself, the magnitude of which cannot be overstated. Historians and court watchers cannot recall another instance of someone leaking a draft opinion from the nation's highest court. I practiced law for 10 years. I covered the high court for three or four. Never seen anything like this. Uh, The chief justice himself just a short time ago calling it a betrayal meant to undermine the integrity of the court. One, he says, will not succeed. And he has directed an investigation by the court martial into the source of the leak. We're already seeing protests erupt and the political wolves are out for revenge, demanding lawmakers codify federal abortion rights immediately. There's talk about ending the filibuster so that the Democrats can push it through right away before we have midterm elections. That's where we are today. 
A few minutes ago, President Biden also responded at Joint Base Andrews while on his way to Alabama. Listen. All the decisions related to your private life, who you marry, whether or not you decide to conceive a child or not, whether or not you can have an abortion, a range of other decisions, whether or not how you raise your child. What does this do? uh, And does this mean that in Florida they can decide they're going to pass a law saying that same-sex marriage is not permissible? It's against the law in Florida? Uh, So there's a whole, it's, it's a fundamental shift. There's so many fundamental rights that are affected by that. And I'm not allow, I'm not prepared to leave that to the, the whims and the, and the, uh, of the public at the moment. Hmm. Let's bring in our first guest, author of the book, One Damn Thing After Another, former Attorney General William Barr. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right, as you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, PureTalk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to PureTalk. Just go to puretalk.com kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com kelly to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. The University of Austin is a new university dedicated to the fearless pursuit of truth. At UATX, a culture of free, open inquiry and civil discourse helps us break through barriers instead of walking on eggshells. Students will feel at home in our downtown Austin campus. With guidance from world-class professors, they'll grapple with history's most important ideas. They'll learn through dialogue, without fear of censorship, while forming friendships that last a lifetime. They'll have unparalleled access to mentors in business, science, politics, and the arts, and develop careers alongside Austin's leading entrepreneurs, builders, and founders. What's more, all students in the founding class will receive full tuition scholarships for all four years. Admissions are rolling for fall 2024. Apply to the University of Austin now at uaustin.org. Welcome to the show. So great to have Thanks, you here. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be here. And today of all days. Wow. <laughs> Were you stunned when you saw this leak yesterday? Yeah, I was flabbergasted. Uh, it really is unprecedented. With all the, you know, our institutions have become increasingly politicized, but I never imagined this could happen to the Supreme Court, yeah. which has always protected its confidentiality. And for someone to to let this out in order to influence the final decision is, is really uh, beyond the pale. Do you think that's the motivation? Yeah, I think I think it is. E- you know, either we had a situation where there were five votes for that position, and they're trying to intimidate someone to back off the opinion, because as you say, things were in flux until the time it's issued, um, or they were trying to determine whether they could muster five votes, and and they're trying to. Mm-hmm. That's how I read this. The report by Politico suggests the conservatives have a majority, uh, and that Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, may not 
be in it. He may he doesn't sound like right now or at least at the time that they did the report. I mean, last night he was a dissenter, but that he might be preparing some sort of a concurrence on other grounds, but mm-hmm. that they had the five conservatives ready to vote to strike down Roe versus Wade. That we, we don't know, but that was the reporting. Right, right. And so there is a question. So six conservatives seeming to favor some sort of overturning of Roe or in Robert's case, something more limited and the liberals objecting, wanting to uphold Roe. The details, I mean, this I, it had to be a law clerk. It had to be right. Unle- unless you believe a U.S. Supreme Court justice, him or herself would have leaked this thing. Right. Which I don't believe. I suspect it was a law clerk. And so the sort of table bingo last night was, well, would it have been one from one of the conservative justices trying to shore up a wobbly moderate, you know, keep the pressure on to stay on the majority? Or would it have been, in your opinion, and I realize this is speculation, a a liberal jurist's law clerk trying to generate enough public backlash that the wobbler would go over to the lefty side? The second scenario is the only thing that makes sense to me. Why? Because I don't think a conservative clerk would have put this out on with the, with the idea that this would somehow shore up a wobbly judge. This is going to be a controversial decision if mm-hmm. it came out. Mm-hmm. So better to keep it quiet, mm-hmm. shore the person up internally, mm-hmm. and then let the chips fall their way when it's or fall where they may when it's too late to reverse it. Right. Your your position. Right. So what about this Marshall investigation? I mean, I I'm having covered the high court for a few years. I can I can say. The the Supreme Court marshal investigating you isn't the sentence that strikes fear in the hearts of men and women. <laughs> now, the FBI, because CBS is reporting that there may be an FBI investigation into who leaked this. That's a different story. That's more your purview. So what do you think happens from here? Who actually will take the helm? Well, you know, I think that the chief would have had the option and perhaps he still will to appoint a counsel. Uh a special counsel, not in the classical criminal sense, but the court can appoint a counsel and he could bring in a former U.S. attorney or someone with a criminal law background. Uh, and uh, I'm sure he would get the support he needed from the FBI or, or any other law enforcement agency. What's your confidence that they can get to the bottom of who leaked it? I think they may need a grand jury to do that, which would mean a criminal case. Wow. Why? To compel the truth. Yeah, because people will <laughs> lie to the marshal <laughs> and maybe well, not to a prosecutor. Perhaps. Well, that's the thing. And and people are talking about it online, though. Is this a crime to me? I mean, it's clearly unethical. And if it was a lawyer, they should be disbarred immediately. R- right. But what crime could this possibly be? Well, it could be obstructing the, the administration of justice, the due process of justice. Mm-hmm. That's a stretch, though, no? Well, no, it, it's not. A, it, uh, it, it, you're... Obstruction means you're you're attempting to influence, you know, through some kind of wrongdoing, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't think it's a stretch. Mm. So, do you think they should? Do you think I mean, like, if you were running the DOJ right now, is well, it, would you I, be pushing for it? I'd want to go back and parse the statute and make sure it was, you know, clearly covered by it. But if it was, I I think that's the way to go. What do you make? As you've been in and out of government many times in your career, as your book makes clear. Uh, what do you make that this was leaked to the national security reporter at Politico? It's not the high court, you know, the reporter. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, obviously, whoever is leaking it is trying to cover their tracks, and maybe there was something about that channel that made them feel more secure. I don't mm-hmm. know. 
I don't know either. I wish I I wish I had the tea leaves better, but I really feel there's a guy named Phil Houston. He used to run the CIA's. Maybe he was there when you were there. Uh, deception detection program. He came mm-hmm. up with it and then ran it for 25 years. That's what they need. <laughs> they need Phil Houston, who's literally a human lie detector, to come out there. He wrote a book called Spy the Lie, mm-hmm. and he will get to the bottom of it, even right. if there's not criminal uh, prosecution power. Right. I think they should spare no effort to get to the bottom of what happened. Why? I mean, explain for the audience why it's so catastrophic what this person has done. Well, this this because uh, once you expose the court to, to this kind of popular pressure and sort of uh, potential mob psychology, it, it'll it'll uh, divert them from doing from reaching a principal decision based on the merits. We go to a lot of trouble in our system to insulate the court. Uh, so that they can uh, do what they think is just under the law, and uh, you know this this means that we're going to have sort of this uh, street justice played out in front mm-hmm. of the Supreme Court when when they're considering controversial cases. Can we talk about the difference? Because one of my reporter friends texted me last night. She could see I was mad on Twitter about the leak, and she said, "I'm curious as a reporter why you'd be against this. You know, are your journalism, you know, credentials?" weighing against your legal credentials. And I said, to steal a, a phrase, America first, you know? That- right. I mean, I, I, would, I, I hope that there's still reporters who would, who would not like if a national security secret that exposed us to danger uh, was leaked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they might take advantage of it, but they would still, I think, uh, feel that that was wrong. And because society as a whole was injured by it. And the same is true here. This hurts us in a different kind of way, but it's very profound. Well, and even without, I mean, like you take somebody like Snowden, he's he's got reasons. You can disagree with his reasons, but he had reasons for what he did. You know, mm-hmm. he thought that the government was doing something unethical, illegal, and it needed to be exposed. That's not even arguably the case here. There's no even alleged wrongdoing by anybody. This isn't a whistleblower. This is somebody who clearly leaked a confidential document that they took a, an oath not to leak. Uh, through their attorney bar certification. And when you go to work at the Supreme Court, you get the lecture from the chief justice. Uh, And they did it for political reasons. So I don't like the public interest in in disclosing this now in advance is not the same as with something like the Pentagon Papers. Well, I think it seems to I mean, we're all speculating, but uh, I think the most likely scenario is they leaked it for the purpose of politicizing the decision-making process, of bringing extraneous pressure to bear on on a justice or some justices. Mm. It's shocking. I mean, I was saying, we've never seen, I'm sure, let's say it was a liberal jurist, or uh, not jurist, but law clerk. You don't think somebody want, you know might have considered trying to turn the tide some way on Lawrence v. Texas, on on Griswold versus Connecticut, on mm-hmm. Obergefell, the gay marriage case, all mm-hmm. these cases that sort sure. of are in line with privacy rights and so on, deriving from Roe. Sure, they would have. I mean, on Roe itself, you know, who right. knows how the the law clerks working for the other justices felt? Probably not so happy. Right. Right. But absolutely, they never did this. This is right. a breach beyond. It's about somebody making it about themselves and their own views. Absolutely. You know, one of the points I've made about January 6th is uh, that whether or not the president incited it or was aware of there'd be violence, the thing I objected to was sicking a political demonstration, including some rowdy people who looked like they were ready for some violence, and putting them outside the Capitol to put pressure on the Senate and the president of the Senate, the vice president, 
uh, to, to, to reach a certain decision. And while people are free to do that, for one branch of government to try to influence another by using that extraneous method mm -hmm. was wrong. Mm -hmm. No violence is involved here, but they're doing violence to the process and they are trying to rally political forces to put pressure on the court. And for the same basic reason, it's wrong. Does the Supreme Court need to come out with its decision ASAP now? I think they should just go ahead with their normal process and not let this derail them. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you worry at all about a threat to them now? You know, I mean... Yeah, that crossed my mind that I think they have to... They have to uh, buttress their security at this point. Definitely. That's well, yeah. yet another thing the leaker likely didn't take into account sure. th that he or she was endangering the lives of the nine justices, the conservatives and the liberals um, in, in being so reckless. Mm -hmm. They would have prepared for this had they known, you know, right. it's coming out in June, they, they, they would bulk up. Now it catches them by surprise. Um, okay. A couple things about the decision itself, because now we've had the chief justice acknowledge it's authentic. It's not final. Right. But let's let's presume that they don't lose one of those five votes between now and the time they issue it. And indeed, they are going to overrule Roe and Casey, which is which affirmed Roe for the most part in uh, the early 90s. Uh, to me, it's a stunning decision. I have to say, I I couldn't believe like people who have worked for 50 years to read these words, you know, that the joy they must feel at having read them. And people who have worked for 50 years to stop these words from appearing in a U.S. Supreme Court opinion, mm -hmm. same. Um, he writes, this is again written by Alito um, as uh, for the majority. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job which is to interpret the law, apply longstanding principles of stare decisis, meaning respect for precedent, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. What do you feel when you hear that? Well, I agree with that uh, position. And, uh, uh, you know, when I was up being uh, for my hearings the first time I was attorney general almost 30 years ago. For H.W. Bush. Right, for H.W. Bush. I was asked about it and I said I thought the case was wrong. Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided, uh, but it will, I would inf enforce it until it was overruled. And then, of course, every year we went back up to the Supreme Court trying to get it overruled. So I'm one of those that has been looking forward to the overruling of Roe v. Wade. The thing is, the court points out in, in this opinion, this draft opinion, that even abortion supporters have found it difficult to defend Roe's reasoning. It was an abomination of a legal decision. Even right. if you are pro-choice, pro-abortion rights, it's very hard to defend this piece as legal as a piece of legal jurisprudence. They point out one prominent constitutional uh, scholar who supports abortion rights wrote that Roe was not constitutional law at all and gave almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. Right. That's the thing that people don't know. They just think Roe versus Wade been almost 50 years. Like, what do you mean? You know, respect for precedent. This was the law. It was a joke of an opinion when it was right. written and when it was partially affirmed. And nothing about that has changed. Right. And that's why it's created so many problems and, and led to such political turmoil in our country, because it was a strong arm opinion whereby a court was legislating. 
and you know the whole trimester system and so forth had no basis. They in made the it up. It was made up, and I felt I felt for a long time that one of the problems we have in our country is that we've done away with. The the the, fed, the the glory of the federal system and its function as a uh, safety valve, a release to let pressure out of the system. If we make these decisions uh, in the states where people have maximum influence over their own state, where states have different approaches, different cultures, different communities, uh, then uh, I think we're going to see less turmoil over time. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we have one size fits all, Armageddon fights, one decision binding on every state, every person, and there's going to be a big fight in Washington, that's what's creating a lot of the rancor in our system today. This is what the court said in agreement with your point. Roe represented the exercise of raw judicial power and sparked a national controversy that has embittered our political culture for a half century. Uh, 26 states asked the court to overrule Roe and Casey and let states regulate the matter. And they pointed out that for the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its populace. Right. And then in 1973, the court suddenly said there's a constitution right, constitutional right to abortion, even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion. Mm -hmm. So it came at a left field as a, as a, as a legal matter. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think that um, now people are going to be afraid because if you turn on mainstream media today, they're telling you that abortion is soon going to be illegal in all 50 states. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Can you explain why that's not true? Well, each, states take very different approaches today. The this That opinion, uh, if it were to be the final opinion, isn't saying that you have to prohibit abortion. It's saying this is a matter for the states to decide and uh, a very high proportion of our states are going to permit abortions. Mm -hmm. the, there may be reasonable regulation and time periods, uh, but it's not going to prohibit it nationwide. And what we hear is, well, somebody in Idaho is going to have to go to California to get an abortion. Well, let's think about that for a minute. Uh, that's, that's what we get in living in a federal republic where, where states are sovereign and can set the rules for the people of their state. Mm -hmm. And if people don't like the rules in Idaho, uh, they don't necessarily have to move, but they might have to go to California to, to, to get an abortion. That's the price we pay for federalism, and it's well worth the price. The alternative, which is to say, you legislate, you know, every, the law has to be exactly the same throughout the country. As I say, that creates a pressure cooker, and that's one of the problems we have today. Well, that's why you're having talk of let's get rid of the filibuster uh -huh. so that we have no minority rights in the Senate at all. It's uh -huh. already gone when it comes to justices and judges uh -huh. uh, in the federal courts. And now they're saying let's get rid of it, the Democrats, altogether so that we can ram through a national federal law that protects abortion in all 50 states. I mean, that would be extraordinary. Right. I mean, I you describe it. How, well, how it may not even well, it may not even be constitutional because I'm not sure exactly what power the federal government has to do that. Once once you rule that it's not a fundamental constitutionally protected right, I'm not sure where the federal government gets that power. Mm. Good point. Um, the there's another. This is getting less traction, but I've seen it uh, from some prominent liberal pundits. They there's talk of court packing again. Sure. Get the court packed before June, even. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
that's not even a possibility, right? Like there's right. no way they can do that. Right. You know, it's to me, it's very uh, ironic that the Democrats keep on talking about the destruction of democracy, okay? This is all about democracy. It's about letting the people make the decision. As you know, the Constitution envisions narrow powers for the federal government, and otherwise it's left to the people and to the states. Mm -hmm. And uh, this idea that um, you know we should take it away from the people and have uh, one-size-fits-all uh, rule from Washington is, in my mind, anti-democratic. It's not what the founders envisioned. Right, sure. They didn't want some king, some central authority who right. would issue all the rules. Right. And we've been living just fine like that. I mean, listen, there's a reason Mississippi's very different from California. Right. And you can make choices accordingly. We've seen that over the past couple of years with COVID. Right. People, it dawned on them, I don't really like the way my state is run in these policies. Right. I'm going to go someplace that's more free, like Florida. Right. Absolutely. It, and it's a charter for freedom. People can find their niche in this country. Communities can take shape. People with common values tend to, to uh, gravitate. Uh, to the same place and so forth. And so you have a real feeling of community. We're a, com uh, we're a composite country. Uh, what's wrong with diversity in this country? You know, the left talks about diversity, but they're not for diversity. Mm -hmm. They're for everyone knuckling under and following what they want to do. Exactly. It's only surface level diversity, right. your skin color, or your your gender, what have you, right. no ideological. I remember sitting at the Supreme Court and hearing Justice Scalia when he was still alive and on the bench say uh, on an issue around abortion, if you want abortion to be a federal right or to be in the Constitution, good on you. Go out there and get a constitutional amendment passed. Right. That's what you do when you want to change the Constitution. You don't read rights into it that aren't there. And it's almost like now I'm having the feeling of I'm sorry. I feel bad that the Supreme Court for some 50 years has lied to the American people saying that there was something written in this document that wasn't in there. Right. Now the ship is being righted and people feel betrayed, which I understand. I understand because we've seen justice after justice do at the Supreme Court confirmation hearings being like, I'll have respect for precedent, stare decisis. No one will ever make a prediction on what they do on, Ray, on Roe versus Wade. And now, you know, the answer is, yes, they do respect precedent. That's why we don't get these decisions every day, but bad precedent gets overruled, and that's not unprecedented at the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. Uh, that's absolutely right. We saw you know, bad uh, racist decisions from the past be overruled. Um, so as you say, the law around when you overrule a bad precedent is well-developed, and the draft opinion by Justice Alito goes through all the, the standards. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, and, we'd yeah. still have Plessy versus Ferguson, right. separate but equals fine. Um, lots of bad decisions that the court right. has come to revisit. Uh, like w when they did with Brown versus Board of, Board of Education. They don't always respect precedent. Sometimes they say, mm -mm, that precedent is bad and it needs to go. Um, just one thought for the audience. Um, they say as follows, uh, there are three groups of people in this country. I, one that believes a human person comes into being at conception and abortion, abortion ends an innocent life. One that believes any regulation of abortion invades a woman's right to control her own body and prevents her from achieving full equality. And the third is the group that believes abortion should be allowed under some but not all circumstances. And there's a variety of views on the particular restrictions that should be imposed. Number three is the vast majority of the world. Like the, they, they point out that only 
six other countries besides the United States right. allows abortion on demand past 20 weeks. Right. We, the United States, have been in an outlier position for a long time on this. Right. It's a very small group that's in group number two. You should have the right to decide all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy. Right. So there's another element of this, which is personally, I believe life does begin at conception. So that if I had my way instead of what the Constitution says, I'd say you, abortion should be prohibited. And, and maybe that and I would be fighting to get that, you know, interpreted into the Constitution mm -hmm. that that was a person. Mm -hmm. Right. And some some Republicans are maybe. So, yeah. Or they want a constitutional amendment to do it. Yeah. But uh, my feeling is to be honest about the Constitution. That's not what the Constitution did. The Constitution, in my view, left it up to the states. And 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 um, so I'm not trying to get my personal beliefs, you know. Uh, reflected in the Constitution, I'm willing to live with the Constitution. Yeah, you it don't is. want Roe to go the other way, a right. bad decision that affirms your worldview by right. writing stuff into right. the Constitution. I'm not going to impose not... my worldview on the Constitution. And I think the idea that, that anything goes abortion, you know, without any restriction, is them imposing an extreme, their own extreme views on, on the Constitution. And I think this opinion is right. Leave it up to the states. Yeah, and, that, and that's what Scalia said. He said, you, want, go, you got, get that constitutional amendment, don't leave it up to nine men and women in robes. Right. It's not our purview. Right. Um, last question on this. We'll squeeze in a break and then we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about you. Um, many out there, forgive me for saying Jeffrey Tubin to you, um, many out there <laughs> like Tubin saying... This is the beginning of the end for, you know, uh, the right to privacy, the so-called right to privacy and, and any jurisprudence that's connected to it um, from the, the right to contraception to the right to gay marriage, uh, which had due process concerns as well and so on. And there are a lot of people on the left saying that. Now, this is what the court actually said. And I'm quoting here again in a draft opinion that could still change. We emphasize that our decision concerns the right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. But I've seen even some on the right say, this is our window, say our window to get rid of something like a Bergefell, the gay marriage opinion, or some of these other cases that have the original root in this so-called right to privacy of Roe and so on. So how do you see that fight going? I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be an erosion of of those cases. Uh, now, personally, as an original matter, I would have also left those issues up to the states. Mm -hmm. But once the once it was decided by the Supreme Court, I think there's tremendous uh, uh, dependence and reliance on those decisions. Well, there was on a row too. No, there there isn't because you know abortion is something that. Uh, when you when you get married, you have property things that last for a long time, and you have a relationship that lasts for a long time, and you have children and so forth and so on indefinitely into the future. Abortion is something that that's what the court found. You're, that's exactly what the court found. What you're saying that it's it's temporary, uh, if you will, pregnancy. Right. It's a temporary. condition. It's a temporary condition that will, you know, uh, be resolved or not, and and so there's no reliance uh, on 
on uh, Roe v. Wade in the same sense that there's reliance on, um, you know, the gay marriage mm-hmm. case. None that couldn't be adjusted based on state legislation and so right. on. That's what seems to be what the court is saying. Right. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see that happening because of the reliance of people, and I think people understand that. Mm. That's fascinating. What a, what a day, right? Yeah. So glad to have you here on this day. All right. So I was almost disappointed that uh, Bill Barr was coming in today and that this news broke because there's <laughs> so much that I want to talk to him about. Uh, we're going to dig into his book next. One damn thing after another. And it certainly is. Right. Well said. We'll be right back with more. The former attorney general. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show. But just chatting here with the former Attorney General Bill Barr, author of the new book, One Damn Thing After Another, which is a great description of what it's like to be Attorney General. And uh, that's explained early in the book. It's a great, great explanation. It's kind of how the news business is, too. We were just chatting about how it's really, it says something about the ethical code of this person, whoever leaked this. Because you were a law clerk back in the day. You're obviously a lawyer. It does, right? It's your own personal moral code. Right. Well, it's that. Uh, the ends justify the means. Anything you do is okay because you want to take the country to a better, your view of, of a better future. So, Well, that's as good a segue as I could ask for into the whole Trump election stuff. So let's get that out of the way. <laughs> the, I think the reason most Republicans, the polls show most Republicans think that the election was stolen from him. Now, what does that mean? Because I know you've said, you know, Do- yeah, rigged, unfair. We can go there. But like- yeah actual stealing of votes no right and i I, that's where i fall too Mm -hmm. um because i didn't see any proof of it i was open-minded like hey let's see you know but the reason i think most republicans believe it was stolen is what we're talking about that the democrats clearly believe ends justify the means he's too big a threat this had to be stopped he had to be stopped and that the stakes were just too big to play by the old rules right so People are confusing three different things. One are are the rules that are put into effect at the last minute before the election, which are not in themselves illegal. Uh, COVID stuff, mail-in ballots, right? That longer voting times. Right. Yeah, uh, you have to live with that, or you challenge it in court and get it thrown out if if you feel that the state didn't have the power to do that. The second thing are process uh, violations. That is the violation of rules that are meant to prevent fraud, 
the big one there is harvesting. harvesting. And as I said in my book, I think they were cutting corners on harvesting. And that's, I think that's where I go around and I pick up all the old ladies' ballots for them. I'll take it in and I'll deliver it. Don't you worry, sweetheart. <laughs> right. And then God knows what I do with it before I actually drop it off. Right. Harvesting can, can be the whole gamut from actually taking a sealed ballot and saying, I'll deliver it for you and going around to standing at someone's door and say, you fill out your ballot. You know, you got to vote, fill out your ballot help them fill out the ballot, mm. take it. And then there can be more fraud involved where you put it out yourself. But if it's just a process violation, I don't mean to minimize it because I think that that's a violation of law and people should be prosecuted for that. But what, what a lot of people don't understand is that you're not going to be able to turn around an election based on that because you don't know, once the ballots are opened and counted and mixed all together, you can't go back and reconstruct, you know, which of these was harvested by Joe Blow and which mm -hmm. involved undue, undue pressure and so forth. And furthermore, as as I think you would see, most courts are not going to throw out a valid vote because it was harvested. Mm -hmm. The question will be: Was this a qualified voter? And and should we really ignore their vote mm -hmm. just because somebody collected and delivered it? So. Um, and then the third category is where unqualified votes are counted or qualified votes are suppressed. That's fraud. Yeah, that's the okay, bad. Okay, that's, that's where the, the counts really the counts are affected. And you know, when they came out of the box on election night, for the president did saying there's massive, you know, major fraud underway, uh, and all the stuff that uh, Giuliani and the others were talking about in the first uh, few weeks was was fraud, actual fraud, yeah. like the machines or truckloads of illicit ballots or ballots taken from under tables. All of that was nonsense. And and, and all these figures that were thrown out about how, you know, Philadelphia uh, had more votes than registered voters, which the president said just last January, this past January, nonsense. Nonsense, you know. The turnout in in, in in Philadelphia was actually lower than the state average turnout. Mm -hmm. So Detroit was another one. Yeah, same thing. Where he did better against Biden than he right. did against Hillary. Yeah. But so the big picture in the election was the cities pretty much did what they always do. There was no big change in the cities. There wasn't been you know some big influx of of votes uh, that was beyond what's happened in the past. And in fact, Trump ran a little bit better in many of the cities. Mm -hmm. The rural areas increased their vote for Trump, but the thing that changed were the suburbs. And there, Trump lost ground, either significant ground in, 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 in suburbs that usually went Democrat, but still had significant Republicans. But even in some suburbs and exurbs that he won in the past, his margin went down. Mm -hmm. And this is what he was told for the whole of 2020. Yes. Like yeah. after the first presidential debate, you write about this in the book saying yeah. you were very displeased and <laughs> yeah. you, because you really felt the base is there. We don't right. need to shore up the base. We right. need to get the suburban voters who are turned off by your affect, right. some of your personality yeah. characteristics. So let's try to be a little bit more presidential right. and shore them up. And I went in in April. So it's before the debates. I went in in April and I told them that. I had a one-on-one -on -one with them and I said, look, I think you're going to lose the election. And it's not COVID. COVID, you know, you can survive COVID, but uh, everybody sees this, which is we've lost ground in the suburbs and we got to get that back. And when you look at the vote, 
that's where he lost it. So all these people are out there talking about, you know, uh, fraud and how the Justice Department could have turned it around and so forth. First, it's not true. Uh, we could not have turned it around based on the evidence at that point. Uh, but they should go and look at where the votes actually came from. Mm -hmm. One thing I like pointing out is like in, in, um, in Arizona, he ran 75,000 votes behind the Republican ticket. That is the, mm -hmm. the Congress people who are running, the state assembly people. Same in Wisconsin, roughly the same in Pennsylvania. Let's take Pennsylvania where he ran 60,000 votes behind the Republican ticket. Compare that to what Reagan did and when he was running for re-election in 84. He ran 470,000 votes ahead of the Republican ticket wow. in Pennsylvania. Half a million ahead. Those were, Demo those were the Reagan Democrats. Mm -hmm. You, you can't win a close election like this as the Republican candidate if you're running behind the average Republican it's ticket. Just, it, in a way, it's such a shame to, for Trump because you, you point this out in the book. He was, he, he was what's the word? They were, they were kneecapping him mm -hmm. from day one in a way that we had never seen before. He really was never given the chance to, to just govern you know, to just govern. It was an outrage what happened to him. And, and you know, that watching it and being very suspicious of this Russiagate thing, that's one of the reasons I felt he wasn't getting his due as president. And I was willing to come in and, and, and do my best to, you know, to have him get what he deserved as president. And so he was sinned against. But uh, he also, as I think most people believe, including his supporters, is his own worst enemy. Yeah, he sinned against himself. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the cast of characters around him. And I used to be a Comey fan, a believer. I know you per had a personal friendship with Robert Mueller. That's changed. And, I, and you're very frank in the book about what you make of those guys. Comey, um, my word was sanctimonious. You had a different word for him. What was it? I don't remember. Meg, he was a megalomaniac. Megalomaniac, yes. So how did that happen? Did he grow into that, or was he just like that from the beginning? Well, uh, you know, you always lawyers, as you know, tend to think highly of themselves, and he always had a you know a healthy uh, uh, amount of that. But I think he became more arrogant as time went by. You could tell, like when you went to a room with him, had mm -hmm. a conversation. Oh, sure. what, why? What was he like? Well, his holier-than-thou attitude, you know, I think what he did in the Bush administration with the hospitalization of Gonzalez and acting like there was some, you know, big conspiracy afoot opened a lot of people's eyes to him. And what about Bob Mueller? He was your friend. He kind of stabbed you in the back. He wrote this long, meandering report. You condensed it down to two pages, which the left freaked out about, saying you misrepresented it. You said, I didn't. I wasn't going to let him get away with this obstruction of justice right. stuff, which was not the right focus. And I boiled it down for you, which is there was no collusion. That was the headline. That's what he was told to do. Right. He got mad. You should a little statement of his own about how you didn't get it right. Mm -hmm. So I know you said to NBC, you're not sure if you guys are still friends, but what, how do you see Bob Mueller now? Because I think a lot of people were surprised by how off he seemed when he testified and whether he's the guy we thought he was. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think I'd leave it at that, which is, you know, I don't think he was, uh, you know, w what you saw was not the Bob Mueller that I was used to working with. And and uh, I don't know how much of it was that change versus ideological or what mm -hmm. have you. But Was he always a partisan guy? Not particularly, although I, I do think that he uh, had disdain for Trump. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think the right. fact, uh, you know, I, th I think the fact that he allowed, well, look, Rod, it was terribly unfair to Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein picked Mueller to assure the country that this was going to be done without any partisanship. And then Mueller turns around and brings in very partisan Democrats, mm -hmm. a whole crew of and them. And you told him not to do that. Well, no, I, I mean, I commented on it at the time, but I wasn't in charge. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But you were saying you might want to reevaluate. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that that Trump was upset about was the Durham investigation, which you got started, which is good. We mm -hmm. need to know why they invented this fake claim mm -hmm. of Russia gate collusion, all that. And, and Durham, sure enough, seems to be a straight, straight shooter getting to the bottom of it. But he was mad it didn't go faster. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something about he was mad that after that first presidential debate where it came up about Hunter, maybe you can yeah. refresh my memory, that you didn't go back to him and say, you are right. There is an investigate. You knew that there was a <laughs> mm -hmm. there was an investigation into Hunter at that time in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, but you, you couldn't reveal it. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the reasons our, our relationship uh, sort of soured during 2020 was he and he did by the way you know didn't come in and tell me what to do in these cases he was good in that respect mm -hmm. uh he sort of asked me generally you know are things going okay and i'd say yes and then he'd you know try to figure out what was going on <laughs> but he would never ask or he never t tell me to do anything but his public comments made it clear that he wanted scalps and he wanted them before the election i mean you can't blame him I don't blame him. I don't blame him for that desire. But the but the attorney general has to run a criminal justice system that doesn't take account of politics. That's what H.W. told you. Right. He, he had a different approach. <laughs> right. And if you don't have the evidence at that point, you don't indict someone simply because it's politically beneficial. Um, but I, I am annoyed when I hear uh, a lot of my side, the Republican side, you know, sort of say, you know, why isn't Durham, you know, doing more? And I said, okay, let me explain the time frame to you. He 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 got up and running in the summer of um, 2019, but we didn't have the information about the FBI's activity from the IG until oh. December of 2019. Why not? He didn't issue the report, and he wouldn't share it with. Durham. So Durham's team did not have all the FBI stuff. So he was looking at other things while waiting for that report. Do you think he didn't share that because he didn't want the thing to go? No, I think faster? that's his standard practice okay. and, and, and that's the way he wanted to handle it. So he so Durham was delayed in getting into the to the meat of the of the matter uh, until the end of 2019. And then what happened three months later? All the grand juries shut down because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, you know that I'm not saying he had a grand jury. What I'm saying is that once people know that you cannot convene a grand jury and issue a subpoena to them, they're not going to voluntarily cooperate. Mm -hmm. So you say, will you come in and talk to us? We want some questions to ask you. They'll say no. Yeah, well, I got to get my nails done. I right. got to get my hair done. I'm worried done. about COVID. I'm taking care yes. of my mother. Safety first. Yeah, safety first. <laughs> And they know you can't say you got to be you got to be here. Now, one per speaking of COVID and, 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 that, and but yeah, that went sorry, on that went on until October before the election. Now we're getting results, and yeah. you know they're not big indictments. I mean, you know, it's not like the big mother load like you right. orchestrated the whole thing. But we're getting the story piecemeal together, right. and eventually, I believe, and I think you I, do too. We'll get the story. We're going to get the full story from John yeah. Durham. Yeah. All right. Speaking of COVID, Anthony Fauci. 
your your piece of advice in the book is do not get between him and the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, have you ever seen such an egotistical bureaucrat? No. Right. Right. And but but the, my uh, my concern, and it was a concern of a lot of people at the White House, was that he was empowering Fauci by putting him out there, and mm. he created this monster, if I can use that mm-hmm. metaphor. But um, so. Um, it was his own creation because he kept on putting him out Why there. Why did he do that? It's not like Trump. Well, I, from my observation, Trump is very decisive on certain red meat issues that he has a good feel for, like crime, immigration, stuff like the drug mm-hmm. war. But on things that are confusing and not too clear, such as COVID, yeah. he's not that decisive. And his style is to hang back and snipe at people mm. instead of actually make decisions. So I contrast what he did, how he handled COVID with how DeSantis handled it. DeSantis went out and actually hired a health advisor uh, who seems, seems to be pretty reasonable He's great. and good. He's great. He's show. Yeah. yeah. And then he made the hard decisions and stuck with him even though he was getting battered. Mm. Trump- just followed along with you know the the bureaucrats and sniped at them, and he was all over the lot. I mean, his fight with Kemp, his attack on Governor Kemp, mm-hmm. was that Kemp wanted to open up too quickly. Right. That's how it got started. That's right. I forgot about that. that was yeah. Before the whole election. Thing. So he's been all he was all sort of all over the lot, and I think that that was what you know part partly hurt him on COVID. But I thought he could survive COVID. One great thing Trump did in terms of decisiveness was Kavanaugh and some of these other Supreme Court justices. It's the reason a lot of these conservatives fell in love with Trump who mm-hmm. previously hadn't, because any other president would have folded on Kavanaugh in a New York minute. Right. As soon as those Me Too attacks came in, Christine yes. Blasey Ford, like a cheap tent down. Right. Um, they would have been, but he yes. wasn't. Right. So right. I, I give him a lot of credit. Well, what that. do you think? Because like, I've been thinking about that today, given this historic decision that we think may be coming out. Who knows? But it looks like it's going to go the way the conservatives have been fighting for. How much credit does Trump get for that? He should get tremendous credit. You know, I was never a never Trumper. No, I know. Yeah. You. I mean, once he got the nomination, I, I was for other people, but once he got the nomination, I supported him. And as I said in the book, just on the Supreme Court and judges. I would have crawled over broken glass to vote for him because uh, the Democratic agenda is to shift governance to the court system. And he wanted to put in uh, people who will actually interpret the law. So uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for making that one of the pillars of his administration and sticking with it and following through. That's another good thing about him. When he said he would do something, he actually tried to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, back to your tenure, a couple quick hits I wanted to ask you about. The the Whitmer, uh, you know, alleged kidnapping plot that mm-hmm. case has fallen apart, uh, not guilty or a mistrial. That was started while you were the AG. Any regrets on that? No, because uh, you know, as as I'm sure you know, you have thousands of cases around the country, and you can't get into each individual case. You have to rely on your U.S. attorneys mm-hmm. to you know to have the evidence. I didn't personally review that case. Do you, do you feel like it came out the right way? Which one? The, the Whitmer, I mean, the, the trying of these guys, there were more informants than there were defendants. It was yeah. like the FBI's crime. Not <laughs> These guys were barely into it. Uh, it, it, it. It does touch a raw nerve with me because when I first came in, I was saying, look, we, you know, tell me everything you know about Antifa, these far left groups that were heavily involved in political violence, as far as I could tell, 
just from watching you know the news and they really were not on top of that situation but they were very on top of the right-wing groups mm, and over the years they had penetrated and had all these reports coming out on the right-wing groups but very little work done on the Antifa and I told them you better get your act together and get on top of this because this is where the dangers I think is going to come from and it did over the summer mm, boy it did indeed yeah Look, you've done so much trying to shore up law enforcement, and we're seeing the results right now in so many cities of not listening to the warnings of a guy like Bill Barr. Uh, it's sad, too, because it's communities of color that are, are paying the biggest price. And we just big time. We just saw that from the FBI this week. Yeah. Um, so I know you've got a ton of expertise. This has to be just part one. Can, okay, we, can we make sure. this part one? Be delighted to come back. Okay, sure. good. And we'll go. We'll do part two, and we'll talk about everything else. Okay. Because uh, there's just so much goodness to be mined from Mr. Barr's book, from his life, from your experience, and we're delighted to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. here. Uh, don't don't forget to buy the book. One damn thing after another. <laughs> All the best to you, General. Uh, we're going to be right back. Don't go away. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKSeedKits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show. Just a short time ago, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called for a criminal investigation and criminal charges into whoever leaked the Supreme Court opinion that signaled the court is prepared to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which upheld Roe in part uh, some 20 years after it was first decided. According to Senator McConnell, the leaker, quote, should be investigated, investigated and punished as fully as possible. Joining me now for more, Alan Dershowitz, Professor Emeritus of Harvard Law School. Professor, great to have you back, especially on a day like this. Thanks for being here. Thank you. What do you make of that? Because I just had Bill Barr on. He said, yes, the leaker can and, and likely should be prosecuted, perhaps for obstruction of justice. Mitch McConnell saying the same. Uh, do you agree? No, I don't agree. You don't make up criminal laws. There's nothing on the criminal law statute book today that would permit prosecution. There should be a law. Uh, and maybe Congress can pass one, but you can't use vague terms like obstruction of justice when this is a political decision. Plainly, this was a young person, a law clerk, uh, probably a law clerk who was very strongly opposed to overruling Roe versus Wade, who decided to engage in an act of civil disobedience. Uh, if that person is caught, he or she should be fired, perhaps not admitted to the bar, uh, but not criminally prosecuted. You don't use the criminal justice system 
unless there is a statute on the books which clearly, clearly uh, criminalizes the conduct at issue. You know, people are tend to say, if we don't like something, it must be criminal. And, you know, I don't like what this guy did or this woman did. I think it's wrong, uh, but uh, I, I would not uh, criminally prosecute. And if, if that person is caught, and, and wants to retain me as the lawyer, I'll represent them. <laughs> disagree with what they did, because you can't make something into a crime that isn't under the law a criminal offense. Well, I, I asked Attorney General Barr about that and said, what, you know, how, how could you get him on obstruction of justice? And he was essentially saying this was an attempt to thwart the Supreme Court opinion as originally drafted to influence the justices inappropriately by bearing you know, public pressure down on them and that that might qualify. That wouldn't qualify. That's not an obstruction of justice. Uh, obstruction of justice uh, has been defined over the years in very, very narrow terms. So although I respect um, uh, Bill Barr and like him, I think he's just wrong on that. But you know, uh, people on both sides of the political aisle have used the criminal justice system inappropriately to punish conduct with which they uh, disagree. Mm-hmm. Um always taken the view that my own personal views, I'm a strong supporter of Roe. I don't think it should be overruled. I think it would be a terrible mistake. Uh, on, on the other hand, uh, you know, I don't uh, allow that to influence my analysis of how this will impact uh, the Supreme Court. That's I don't right. think it will impact on the Supreme Court, but uh, I think the person leaking it thought it might. And desperate times uh, requires probably is what the law clerk uh, believed. Well, uh, they can tell themselves that all the way to the disbarment proceedings that are absolutely going to happen against them. I mean, I don't I don't I haven't seen a breach like this from somebody in the time I've covered the court or been practicing law. I, it, it's it's hard to convey to the, the, the layperson how egregious a breach of ethics and trust and confidentiality and procedure in an in, in the third branch where we don't see this kind of thing. This is. You know, it is. You know, I've been covering and following for close to 60 years. I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court about 55 years ago. This has mm-hmm. never or happened. But then again, students at Yale Law School today uh, believe that you can shut people down and not allow them to speak if they have different views on abortion or gay rights. So we are experiencing a generation of young people, particularly on the left, but I'm sure there are some on the right as well, who don't believe in the rule of law, who think that the rule of law is a paternalistic, patronizing, colonial, you know, you name it, every bad thing. Uh, they think free speech is unnecessary, due process is unnecessary, and secrecy is unnecessary. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if one of these uh, radical uh, leftists did this. Look, it's possible somebody on the other side did it. I don't believe that, but it's possible somebody would say, gee, uh, there's some people who are uh, vacillating on the Supreme Court. Let's lock them in by leaking the decision. I don't think that's likely. One thing I'm sure of is it wasn't a justice, because I don't think a justice would know how to call Politico, or probably <laughs> most of them never heard of Politico. It was a young person, I think, who had a friend in Politico, a reporter, who he or they could trust. Now, we're going to see a big issue, because if there is an investigation, there'll be a subpoena directed at the journalist, and then the journalist uh, will claim privilege, and maybe the court will rule against the privilege because the courts aren't going to be sympathetic, obviously, mm, to elite. Interesting. So we'll see whether the journalist is prepared to become Judith Miller and go to prison uh, rather than reveal uh, her sources. This is the beginning of a larger, larger issue that will play out over months. It will also 
play out politically. I think if somebody thought this was going to help the Republicans, they were wrong. I wrote back in 2000, if Roe versus Wade were overruled, it would be a gift to the Democrats because it would turn abortion into a legislative matter, a political matter, and the vast majority of Americans don't want to see their daughters uh, go back into back alleys. So I think it would help the Democrats in the end. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's going to be that motivational. I mean, right now we were looking into this. You know, there's an abortion pill right now that one can get from the FDA and they loosened the rules to make it easier to get it last December. And so if you're in Mississippi and they outlaw abortion, which is one of the states that's got this so-called trigger law where they're going to restrict abortion probably entirely if this decision comes down as we expect, um, you can still get this abortion pill. It's only workable till the 10th week of pregnancy. Maybe not. Maybe the Mississippi law is going to say, well, you can't mail that into Mississippi, but women will find ways around that from the affected states. I just I'm not sure it's going to be the same as it was when you had to go to the clinic. You had to pass the protesters. You had to have a surgical procedure. I don't know. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Look, I was into it. When they passed a law in Connecticut saying birth control was illegal and birth control clinics uh, could be outlawed and the Supreme Court in Griswold versus Connecticut reversed that. And that became the stepping stone, obviously, to Roe versus Wade. And although uh, Alito said that, no, this opinion only affects abortion, doesn't affect other things like gay rights or presumably uh, the right to use birth control. You never know what states will do. and, and, and many state legislatures are out of sync with the public, are mm. way the right in some states and will vote for as much of a ban as you can get. But I hope you're right. I think you're probably right that it won't have the same impact it would have had in 1973 if abortion were not ha- uh, made a constitutional right back then. I do think there are ways around back alley abortions. But, you know, there's some history in South America that does suggest that there still are back alley abortions and pills, uh, uh, you know, they have to be known to people. They have to get to them. And again, it's going to affect the poorest and the least well educated. That's absolutely true. The poor uh, women are the ones who, who suffer the most when it comes to this kind of thing. But, you know, Bill Barr's response to that would be that's federalism. Welcome to federalism. It's not a constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. You can absolutely go petition for a constitutional amendment if you think you can get the support for that. Otherwise, you're going to have to deal with what your state says. And if you don't like what your state says, there's always the power of your feet. Well, you know, you can say that and you can say that about gay rights and gay marriage. You can say that about gun control. And suddenly we federalized and made a constitutional right out of the right to bear arms. That one's in there. Uh, That one's explicitly in there. That's not like abortion. It's like abortion because it's in there in language that's ambiguous. The language says uh, it relates it directly to militias. And uh, and there was a history of precedent of 150 years saying that there was no private right to bear arms. And that precedent was overruled. You can apply it to Brown versus Board of Education. Brown versus Board of Education is not a good decision. Logically, it uses a lot of empirical data. That's highly questionable, but nobody's going to reverse Brown versus Board. Mm-hmm. And if you had asked the framers of the 14th that wrote equal protection, do you think equal protection means that a black man can marry a white woman? They'd say, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're nuts. It means that a black kid could go to school with a white kid. 
you're out of your mind. They would never have passed. Well, the I think you're right about that. I think you're right. But uh, but there's some there's some there's a logical appeal to what somebody like Scalia would say to that an, an originalist, which is, OK, now, no one's saying those are good things. What we're saying is go get a constitutional amendment. There's a there's nope. a nifty way built right in where you can get amendments and you can get these things made into constitutional rights if that's what you want. But we're, we shouldn't be reading things into this that aren't there. That's not Scalia's answer. Let me tell you why. Scalia came to my class in criminal law <laughs> the first year he was on the Supreme Court. And I put that test question in directly, and there's a tape uh, of it. And he didn't give the answer that you might think, amend the Constitution to give us uh, Brown versus Board of Education. He said originalism isn't perfect. It has problems. And Brown versus Board of Education is one of those problems. I can't uh, answer your question about Brown versus Board of Education. But it's better, he said, like democracy and maybe the worst of all the systems. Mm. But and he said that about originalism. He didn't say it was perfect and he didn't say it would solve Brown versus Board of Education. And my friends who are pro uh, a right of abortion say the same thing about this. It may not be explicitly in the Constitution. Neither is birth control. It's under the right of privacy. It's a living Constitution. The argument yeah. is and therefore it should uh, uh, cover abortion, at least some abortion as well as birth control. But look, Alan, you, ne- you can't say oh. that Roe versus Wade. And look, I, I'm not taking a position on abortion one way or the other. There are certain things as a reporter I choose not to reveal. And my position on that as a person, as an American, as a woman is my own. But um, I, I there's no question. I look at Roe and it's it's like it's it just looks like a pile of trash knitted together to me. It's like the the trimester system. These judges making stuff up about viability. They they decided to play God and just make up fake lines, which is why it was struck down in large part in Casey, except for its core, which was the fundamental right. How do you distinguish that from gay marriage and gay rights? The framers of our Constitution never would have permitted gay marriage or gay rights. The framers of the 14th Amendment never would have permitted it both of the right of privacy and personal choice and and bodily integrity and all of that. And I don't think very many people today, I hope, don't want to overrule the right of gay people to live their lives uh, uh, free of governmental constraints. The thing that concerns me is conservatives are supposed to want to keep the government out of the bathroom, out of the bedroom, Mm -hmm. out of the bed, out of the hospital. um, And yet, more and more conservatives want uh, the government to intrude into private decisions like abortion and and marriage and all of that. Uh, and 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 so, uh, you know, there's hypocrisy and also I don't think there's a big push on the GOP side to get rid of gay marriage. I do think there's a big push on abortion because that's seen as a fundamental issue of death and life. They, I mean, I don't know how to explain it to you. You're a religious man, you know. I agree with that. I think there's a big difference between abortion. I think, look, I wrote critically of Roe versus Wade when it was decided. I and it. I said year 2000 in my book on the Supreme Court that uh, uh, Roe versus Wade was a great favor to Republicans. It, it, um, it people who were pro-choice Republicans into pro-life Republicans, people like first President Bush and, and Rockefeller Republicans. It helped eliminate the moderate wing of the Republican Party and turn it more to to the right. It's a very complicated factor. And the one thing Alito did get right, and he was right about this, and that is unlike Brown versus Board, this decision in Roe didn't stop the politics and didn't persuade people. It didn't have an impact on public opinion. The public opinion is as divided today as 
1973. Well, let me pause you there. Let me. Can you just explain to the viewers and the listeners who haven't read the opinion, because he, he does spend a fair amount of time talking about what, in particular, Casey, which affirmed Roe 20 years later, said about like, let this be the final decision. Now go on your merry way. That the court had these aspirations of this being the last word on it, which he's pointing out in his draft opinion, was just not the case at all. Well, but why didn't he say that when he was being confirmed? Why did he say when he was being confirmed and when uh, when uh, several of the others, Gorsuch and, and Kavanaugh, both of whom I admire, why weren't they more honest than in their confirmation hearings? And why didn't they say uh, these aren't super precedents and Roe and Casey, they're up for grabs. And if we have enough votes, uh, we'll, we'll overrule it. Not only, and, and Barrett did say she wouldn't comment on that to her credit. But the three of them, the other three in their confirmation hearings basically said, look, it's precedent. It's the law. It's 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. I mean, they all lie. They all lie when it comes to their actual feelings about cases like that because they know it's a deal breaker. I mean, let's not forget that our most recently confirmed Supreme Court justice to be uh, just tried to say she didn't understand what a woman was. They all <laughs> mislead. It's a joke. I understand what a woman is for purposes of. Uh, athletic competition for purposes of using bathrooms, for purposes of being admitted to an all women's college. It's all contextual. I agree with no, her. I think she it isn't. can answer. It is. It yeah. is not. It's not. Uh, then we got bigger problems to go over you and I, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. By the way, some of the insane lunatics online are like, it was one of Katanji Brown Jackson's clerks. <laughs> you are not helpful. She's, yeah. not, she's yeah. not yet actually on there deciding cases. Um, but she will be at some point. But it was definitely not Katanji Brown Jackson or any of her clerks. Um, can we just spend one more minute? Because I didn't get to ask you more close, uh, closely enough. Disbarment, don't you think? If if this was a law clerk, that person should be disbarred. Absolutely. Uh, look, I hope that person doesn't ask me to represent them. And then I have to say, no, he or she shouldn't be disbarred. But <laughs> as he was not representing anybody at the moment, I do think disbarment seems appropriate. Why? But remember, why? But wait, before you say the but, tell us why. Well, you made an oath. You know, I was a Supreme Court law clerk. Uh, I would have loved to gossip about some of the decisions. I was there during some of the major, major decisions during the civil rights period. I would have gotten a lot of free dinners and gone to a lot of good parties if I had leaked what the Supreme Court was about to do. But we all knew we had an oath. We, we wouldn't even tell our spouses about Supreme Court decisions. We we wouldn't, uh, I, we always had sealed briefcases and uh, when we took the decisions home with us, it was sacred and, and no law clerk would dream of uh, sending an opinion to, to Politico, but we live in a different world today. We live in a world where young people think they're above the law mm. and that obedience uh, is justified. Look, it may have been justified against segregation which was lawless in the end, and people did engage in civil uh, disobedience, and rightfully so. This is different. The rule of law operates in the Supreme Court, and I agree with the Chief Justice, who said this is singular and outrageous and should be prosecuted uh, to the extent of the law, not criminally, but disbarment, uh, firing, of course. is right. You know what's going to happen to this person? They're, if they're ever caught, they'll be disbarred, but they'll become a hero to people uh, on some sides of the political spectrum. And you know what they'll end up doing? They'll end up having podcasts like you and me, mm. and they'll end up being journalists and end up maybe being law professors. Wow. But they're not members of the bar who can practice 
um, because what they did was in violation of the rules of their employment. That's the thing is like when, when you become a lawyer, you take an ethical oath. It's not a regular job. It's not like, you know, I've, I've worked retail. I've taught aerobics. Mm. I've done different kinds of jobs. They don't make you take an oath uh, uh, upholding, like, pledging to uphold certain ethics like they do to become a lawyer. Like, OK, let me ask you a couple things. So this is what um, your old pal Lawrence Tribe says. Uh, predictable next steps after the Alito opinion, which, again, want to underscore is a draft. We do not know that this is the final opinion. What a turnaround it would be if next month they release something going the opposite way, though that's not expected. Uh, he says predictable next steps after this. A nationwide abortion ban followed by a push to roll back rights to contraception, same sex marriage, sexual privacy and the full array of textually unenumerated rights long taken for granted. Do you agree that the next step will likely be a nationwide abortion ban? No, I don't think so. Uh, there aren't uh, any justices, maybe, maybe Thomas, but certainly not a majority for having a constitutional right to life. That is that it would be unconstitutional to allow abortions. I don't think that's true. Uh, let's remember that Tribe is responsible in part for this. Tribe is the person who got Bork. Um, uh, defeated for the nomination in the Supreme Court. And that led to the politicization of the Supreme Court. So he bears some responsibility uh, for this uh, back when uh, he went to the mat on, on, on Bork, who was perfectly well qualified to be on the Supreme Court, but just had opinions that disagreed with tribes. He goes on to say something that I just read that matches up with, again, forgive me, what Jeffrey Tubin is saying on CNN, uh, which is that same-sex marriage is now in jeopardy, that all of these other cases are now in jeopardy where they used either privacy rights or, you know, gay marriage, they used the due process clause, but they they expanded sort of these social rights, for lack of a better term. And, and these guys who are left-wing commentators are saying they're all in jeopardy. Now, you, you're a liberal, but you've always been a straight shooter. So what say you? Are these actually, do you actually believe that these are in jeopardy next? There will be efforts by some religious conservatives to bring lawsuits challenging a gay marriage. I don't think they would go as far as to try to overrule Griswold versus Connecticut, which um, um, in which Connecticut tried. Connecticut, a liberal state, uh, banned uh, birth control clinics. Forget about abortion, birth control clinics. And that had to be reversed by the Supreme Court. I think that's a bridge too far. Um, I, I, I don't think we're going to go much further to support gay rights or gay marriage. But I think that's pretty solid. I think birth control is pretty solid. Uh, try to undo them, but I don't think they'll succeed. Abortion is different mm -hmm. because remember gay rights. Whose business is it if a gay man or a gay woman uh, has sex or marries somebody of their own sex? Who cares? It's nobody's business. But abortion for many people in this country mean killing uh, fetuses and fetuses have souls and they're alive. It's not something that I necessarily uh, support, but it's something that a lot of Americans support, and you're not going to talk them out of it. So I think abortion is unique, and I don't think the slippery slope uh, applies here the way Tribe and Tubin think they do. But, you know, Tribe and Tubin are wrong about everything because they allow their personal views to influence their analysis. I never allow my personal views to influence. That. That's true. That's true. And honestly, I mean, it must be noted that Jeffrey Tubin himself is, has been in the news, you know, over the past whatever. We all know why he was in the news over the past couple of years because he was caught masturbating on a Zoom call for The New Yorker. Uh, but this is a guy who openly pressured his young lover he was having an affair and his wife uh, with to have an abortion and then denied paternity when she refused. I mean, like, it's just very 
uncomfortable to see him commenting on this on CNN, given his history and how we know that that issue has played out in his own life. I'm not saying you're all disqualified from if you had an abortion, you can never comment on it or if you didn't have one. You, it's just we know his situation is very public, so everyone should take it with a grain of salt. Um, I do. I do wonder, though, because. I don't think this is a cowboy Supreme Court. I really don't. I think John Roberts has tried. He's bent over backwards to try to make sure it's not a cowboy Supreme Court. So I just don't see them. This is a huge, huge decision, right? Probably the biggest we've had in decades. And I can't see them coming anywhere near these other issues now. I feel like those issues are less likely to be touched now than they were a year ago because this is like the big one, the big enchilada. And if the Supreme Court keeps taking cases like these, and then they got a gun rights case, they got some other cases, a religious rights case, uh, this term that should be decided soon. But like, they're not going to go back over this stuff, Alan. They they lose their moral authority. And at the end of the day, isn't that all they have to really make us comply with their orders? I agree with you. And that's why Chief Justice Roberts will try very hard to keep them from doing that. But that won't affect um, Justice Thomas and I think it will affect um, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. I think it will affect uh, Justice Barrett. There's no they there. There are nine individuals, and I think each of them will consider this issue differently. I do not think there will be a majority to go back and reverse years and years and years of precedents involving civil liberties and privacy. I do not think that will happen by a majority, but there may be one or two justices who see this as a green light. Our last question. Do you think there's any chance, because the chief justice is saying that whoever thought that we could be manipulated was wrong. That's my own paraphrasing. Uh, do you think there is any chance that that somebody who's in that majority opinion might flip? I mean, what do you think the odds are that this will come out with anything other than a five person mm-hmm. majority to strike down Roe versus Casey within the next six weeks? I think it's possible because it won't require a big flip. All it would require is judicial restraint. Uphold the, the statute in Mississippi and say we don't have to reach the issue. Of, That's uh, the Roberts Ro- way. That's what we're hearing Roberts is likely to do. Sorry, go ahead. Right way, judicial conservatives who, who espouse, uh, who oppose judicial activism should be doing. The issue of overruling Roe versus Wade is not necessary to the decision in this case. All they have to do is decide that the Mississippi law limiting 15 weeks is constitutional. That's what they should do if they're conservatives who believe in judicial restraint. Mm. And that's well, it's possible that Roberts may be able to twist the arm of Kavanaugh, maybe Barrett, uh, unlikely any of the others. Well, that's the that's led to some in- interesting speculation online about could even, and I don't believe this for one second, but could even the chief justice have leaked this? Could it have been somebody like the chief no, justice trying to get, no. you know, pressure on those two guys or gals to come over to his side? Go ahead. No, no justice did this. It was either a law clerk or somebody in the printing office or an employee or something like that. But it was not uh, a, a justice, I believe. Yeah. Um, but we'll wait and see. Um, and we may never know because the journalists may refuse to disclose the source. If the FBI is involved, they may have. They're going to know. They're going to know. The the journalist will not turn on his source to his credit. And the the Supreme Court law clerks are going to fold like cheap tents because they are not rough and tumble street fighters. They are elite 
upper crust, ivory tower, Supreme Court law clerks, and they're going to be scared shitless as soon as the FBI shows up saying, I want your electronic records. I've already checked them. I know exactly who you've been communicating with, and you're effed unless you confess. But remember, too, they may, that the this opinion may have been laundered through somebody else. That is a lawyer to give it to Politico. There are ways that make it more difficult to get to the source of this material. Mm, there are ways. But once the FBI is t- looking into it, which, you know, it sounds like they may, you're dead. They're, they're going to find the clerk is dead. They, they Not not physically dead, they're dead in terms of its his or her cover up. We're going to know their name. Maybe it's what they want, like little stupid anonymous in the White House to try to make himself sound like a big man. Then we all found it. It was nobody. Uh, this person did an unethical thing. And as far as I'm concerned, that's how they'll be known forevermore. A spineless, weakling, political hack whose very first act as a lawyer was to betray the very oath they appeared to have taken. All right. That's still the last word. Alan Dershowitz, anything but a hack, a principled man who takes the barbs better than anybody uh, because he sticks to the, his principles and he doesn't really care whether you like him. And that's why he has fights with Larry David. Great to have you here. Pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Coming up. Allie Beth Stuckey. Look, whatever you think about this decision, this is a huge day for people who've been fighting a very long time uh, to end Roe versus Wade. It's not final yet, but this is the best news they've gotten in 50 years. Uh, and Allie Beth will join us with that piece of the story in moments. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, Get growing. ArcSeedKits.com. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show. We are continuing to follow all the reaction coming in regarding the bombshell Supreme Court leak. Just a short time ago, Senator Elizabeth Warren went to the Supreme Court steps in order to call conservative justices, quote, extremists and let every know everyone know just how angry she is. Take a listen. She's upset. You can see that. Meantime, Democratic Congresswoman Ilan Omar tweeted, expand the courts. That's what Eli uh, Mistal over at MSNBC said as well. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is calling for Congress uh, to pass legislation codifying Roe versus Wade as the law of the land, saying we must end the filibuster to pass it with 50 votes. You heard Bill Barr, former attorney general of the United States, say that they don't have the power to do that. They cannot. Uh, And Vice President Kamala Harris just weighing in, saying the rights of all Americans are at risk. 
Uh, she just has a, a way of just simplifying everything, doesn't she? <laughs> Joining me now, Ali Beth Stuckey, host of the podcast, Relatable. So Ali Beth, you were one of the first people I thought of when I saw this decision. And I know we spent a lot of time in the leak and we'll spend more in this segment talking about it too, because actually there's new information coming in on who it might be. But can we just spend a moment on how huge this is or is going to be if it comes down as we now expect it to be. Put it in perspective for us. Yes. You know, in our 24-minute news cycle and just in our election cycles, we expect political changes to happen quickly. We want them to happen quickly. The problems that we face, we are not used to having to wait many years or even a generation for the problems that we are facing to be solved or we don't want to wait that long. We expect our politicians to be able to do something immediately as soon as they are pressured to do something. That is when we want it. We are very much microwave generations. We are used to that immediate gratification and satisfaction of getting what we want easily. However, when you look at pro-life activism, this has been 50 years of torch passing. This has been 50 years of advocacy, 50 years of people arguing, hey, this is unconstitutional. This is immoral. These people inside the womb, they are human beings. And therefore, it's pretty simple. They are entitled to human rights. The most fundamental being the right to not be murdered as an innocent person. And so it's been 50 years of telling the truth, 50 years of very simple, both legal and moral arguments that has come to this. And as you mentioned, we don't know for sure the conclusion if this is going to be overturned. But wow, this is such a, a beautiful representation of what years of consistency and persistence and dedication to one cause can do. Mm. And I, I don't take anything away. I mean, I have so many friends who are on the other side of this. And um, I know that they're scared and they're hurting. and They fought equally hard on the other side. And so this is not to take away from their legitimate concerns, though it really d- is going to depend on what state you're in. You know, it is going to depend on what. And, it, and if this is a huge concern for you, you're probably going to live in a blue state. Um, but I will say you've got to tip the hat to to Mississippi and the lawmakers there who specifically crafted this law in an effort to create a Supreme Court challenge case that would go up and that it would actually make it hard for to go the Chief Justice Roberts way. And forgive me, because I'm just assuming that the political report about the way he's going is true. I have no freaking clue. We should all remember that. Um, but they Mississippi understood that there were people like Roberts on the court who would try to sort of, you know, have it both ways and find a middle ground. And they tried to craft a statute that would make them take a look and say, no, there's no way through this other than to decide whether Roe and Casey stand or have to be overturned. And they went in there and made the case. I mentioned one of the things with Attorney General Barr. Only six countries outside of the United States permit elective abortion after 20 weeks. We are in the tiny minority in our permissiveness on this subject versus the rest of the free world. And the other countries are like third world countries. Um, And then the court recounts some of the evidence put in front of it by Mississippi. This is in the Alito draft opinion. By six weeks, the heart is beating. By eight weeks, the baby's moving. By nine weeks, all basic physiological functions are present. Again, this is from Alito. By 10 weeks, vital organs begin to function and hair, fingernails, et cetera, begin to form. By 11 weeks, and, and keep in mind that abortion pill, that you can get that from a doctor that, that will end the pregnancy up to 10 weeks, up to 10 weeks of vital organs begin to function and hair, fingernails, et cetera, begin to form. This is why people get upset. This is why people like Ali Beth say, 
you have to actually know what's happening. It's easy to do it when you're not thinking about what's actually inside of you. It may not be easy, but you know, you see my point. 11, may move freely about in the womb. 12 weeks has taken on the human form in all relevant respects. Abortion still legal in the United States. Most after 15 weeks, mothers would need um, a dilation and extraction, which means surgical instruments to crush and tear the unborn child, uh, which Mississippi argued and Alito quoted them as saying is a barbaric practice. This was all said by Allie Beth Stuckey when you came on my show when they argued this case. Like they heard you. They heard these arguments. And for the first time in 50 years, they appear to be listening. Mm. You know, it's so important for us to talk about what we are actually discussing, because you will notice that the pro-choice, pro-abortion side, there are people who are unashamedly pro-abortion. There are organizations called Shout Your Abortion who really do believe that abortion is a moral good. So when I say pro-abortion, I really mean that. There are Mm -hmm. people on that side who are pro-abortion. And it's so important to talk about what we mean when we say abortion, because you'll notice that that side uses euphemisms. They'll say things like reproductive rights or bodily autonomy autonomy or my body, my choice or reproductive justice, or even the word abortion. That's kind of a a euphemism rather than talking about what is actually happening. Or you'll notice on the Planned Parenthood site, they'll say pregnancy tissue is removed or the termination of a pregnancy. They will do everything they can to avoid talking about what an abortion is and who an abortion kills. And I think that's a really good indication that you are on the wrong side of something. If the truth hurts your case, if the truth Um, actually hinders your ability to persuade something. If you need lies and euphemisms to make your side more palatable and persuasive, that's a good indication that you're on the wrong side. The pro-life side, even though it's taken as long as it has, and it will continue to take a very long time to change hearts and minds, which is a main goal, we have the truth on our side. All we have to do is say, this is what an abortion is, which you partly just described. It is a brutal procedure. It is a violent procedure. And look, here's what fetal development is. This is a human being. Whether you think that human beings should have personhood rights, maybe that's a constitutional, legal, philosophical argument that we could have. There's no scientific argument that this is a human being or not. I simply believe that it is wrong in all cases to kill an innocent human being. The people who are pro-choice don't believe that. You believe that sometimes it's okay to kill an innocent human being, and they should be forced, they should be pushed to be able to coherently and logically defend that. They should really be on the defense. They should be the ones that are forced to explain why it's okay to kill some human beings, innocent human beings, and not others. And I think that's the position that we need to be in. And there's a lot of comfort on our side, on the pro-life side, um, right now and forever, that the truth really does help us. We don't have to rely on euphemisms to make our side seem right. We truly believe that we are right because the truth is on our side. Don't you think it's interesting to hear the same people who have been objecting to the use of the word woman? Suddenly they got it. Now yes. they now they got it. They're ready to talk about it. And also um, the uh, the point about your body, it's not your choice when it comes to the vaccine. We can mandate you take the needle right. for the good of the public, the unknown, unnamed public. But when, you know, somebody like you wants to say, well, let's talk about the good of the identifiable baby growing inside the womb that no, then it's my body, my choice entirely. So there's been there's been a fair amount of hypocrisy in the narrative right. around these issues. Yes. You know, it reminds me so much. And this also kind of goes back to 
what you and Mr. Dershowitz were talking about in um, democratic norms, how democratic norms have been totally upended, at least in this case. And it reminds me of when Democrats say that they care about democratic institutions and institutional integrity, they care about democracy. Really, they just mean protecting the things that they like. When democratic processes don't go their way, then they will take authoritarian measures or at least suggest authoritarian measures, um, like trying to pack the court or trying to get rid of the filibuster to push through their will um, and to upend the democratic processes that we have and to try to throw off those checks and balances. But um, when they do something like that, which I would consider authoritarian, they call that preserving democracy. And it reminds me of what is also happening with the word autonomy. What they mean by autonomy is them getting to do the things that they want to do, even if that hurts the rights of another individual, which in the case of abortion, it does hurt another individual's rights. Of course, that's the whole thing. It's not just your body. You do have bodily autonomy. You can decide if you want to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are cases of sexual assault and, and rape, but that accounts for, according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is pro-choice research institute, less than 1% of all cases of abortion. And if you talk to a pro-choicer, they're not interested in limiting abortion to those cases. So it's just kind of like something they throw out there to try to manipulate you emotionally. They're not interested in restricting abortion in that case. But in the vast majority of cases of abortion, these are women who have chosen to engage in something that leads to pregnancy, that can lead to pregnancy. You have bodily autonomy. You have choice over your body. But that starts before you create another human being. After you've created another human being, then we have a responsibility to care for that person because they are a distinct human, just like you and me, with distinct DNA and therefore distinct worth. Mm. I'm thinking about the Supreme Court battle over Justice Kavanaugh and you know, he was replacing another conservative, um, Anthony Kennedy, though, you know, Kennedy was unpredictable and could definitely side with the liberals on social issues and did. Um, but he was replacing a conservative and all every weapon they had was deployed against him to try to stop him. And I'm sure he is feeling some pressure, right, to to not be somebody who joins the majority, because this is this is really why they were so worried about him. This is why the left really hated him. I don't think the left really believed Blasey Ford or all these women who came forward. Maybe Blasey Ford. I don't know. But it was so amorphous. Who could know? But I don't think they really thought he was a gang rapist. It was all about trying to prevent him from joining this Alito majority opinion. And that guy and these other five justices are having the weight of the world on them right now. Yeah. And I hope their spines are stiffened by this, that they that their anger that this happened actually kind of motivates them to stand strong in whatever decision they've made rather than go um, the opposite. I think that they now feel like maybe they have an even bigger burden um, right now of responsibility to try to protect the integrity of the of the court. They would be compromising, further compromising the integrity and the trustworthiness of the Supreme Court if they cave to public pressure. I mean, that would just look really bad all around. Um, and so I'm hoping that they stay courageous, but you're absolutely right. It was all a political pol- a ploy. Same thing with Amy Coney Barrett. She wasn't, you know, she didn't receive quite as many attacks, but 
she went through the ringer as well. But it, she, but it really she, is all about this. She seems to have made a difference in this draft opinion, because if you read the opinion, they, he, uh, Alito writing for the majority is, makes the point about how the burden that's on a woman who finds herself pregnant uh, against her wishes in today's day and age is not the same as it used to be. And they talk yeah. about like safe harbor laws where you're allowed to drop your baby off at a firehouse and you won't face charges and and all of the Catholic charities and so on, all different ways of supporting women. I realize that the pro-choice side is like, I don't want to be forced to give birth to a baby that I don't want. And I don't want to live this life knowing that a child of mine is. Look, but there. let me, so let me just pause. Yeah, yeah. Let me just pause right there is that you're still giving birth. I know that's like brutal to say, but you're still giving birth. You are giving birth to a living baby or a dead baby. The baby has to come out. Mm -hmm. And so either way you go through, you go through birth. And so people think, I know that you don't think that and pro-choice people don't necessarily think this, but it's almost like they believe that abortion is just like you wave a wand and the pregnancy goes away and nothing happens. But either way, you give birth to a baby. Mm. You either give birth to a dead baby or a living baby. And women suffer trauma. I know the pro-choice side doesn't want to talk about this, but there is trauma related to abortion too. I believe that women and children and society as a whole deserve so much better than abortion. Um, yeah, I, I just don't find that to be a compelling argument at all. You still have to go well, through something very traumatic. That's a very interesting point. I, I mean, I have found in my own experience that the women who I have known who are the most ardently pro-choice have had abortions. And, you know, I just don't know if there's a piece of like wanting to feel validated, you know, and wanting to make sure yeah. that like what they've done isn't so atrocious that it gets... It ruled illegal. And you know what I mean? Like, I think there's mm -hmm. something psychological going on for some of the women who are pushing it, like shout your abortion. Who would who would name their group that? Yeah. You know, clearly somebody's looking for some sort of validation. Even the Clintons said safe, legal and yeah. rare and didn't want people right. shouting their abortion, Gloria Steinem style on a T-shirt. But anyway, so I think yeah. Amy Coney Barrett has had an influence on this decision decision because some of her logic and some of her reasoning is in that she, that we heard her asking about at the oral argument has wound up in the piece and she replaced replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg and you remember how mad the liberals were at RBG their hero um uh, for dying yes. <laughs> and not retiring before Trump, you know, because she thought Hillary was going to win. That was the report. So like all these news stories that we've covered for a long time about the Supreme Court battles, I can see them all baked into this decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that she did have she did have an influence on it. And I think that this is why they care so much um, about the courts. I saw a tweet earlier that it seems like the left has just given up on the art of persuasion, that they will use judicial fiat. They will use all kinds of change of democratic norms just to kind of push their agenda down people's throats. And that seems to be the case here. And I think what we're going to see is a lot of intimidation, a lot of intimidation, not just of the justices, um, but of the public. And I've already I already saw that I, I tweeted last night that I think the person who leaked this knew that the lives of the justices and their families would be threatened by people who were angry about this potential yes. decision. And I got blue checkmark journalists quote tweeting me replying and saying, good, Good. They're glad that they're going to be intimidated. They're <sighs> glad that Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh's young children, that their lives are going to be threatened. You're telling me that you think that you're on the right side because you think it's justified for someone to murder someone else because that person doesn't think there's a constitutional right to murdering children. 
I mean, it's wild. That's it's insane. wild. But this really is, it's become a sacrament for the left. And that is, they worship at the altar of it. And that is why you were seeing the hysteria that you are. God forbid, God forbid something happened to one of the justices left or right uh, yes. between this. That person, I, I, I hope, would never be able to live with himself again for for leaking this. And by the way, anybody thinking in the most conspiratorial, th- I'm thinking of like Pelican Brief by John Grisham, you know, you you think you're going to take out a Supreme Court justice and you're going to get a decision to go the other way. You haven't you haven't seen the Republicans fight. There would be no confirmation for any jurist to replace a jurist who was hurt in any way by an activist. There will not be one. So for the lunatics, um, they, they're going to need to guess again. OK, but you raise the question of the leaker and I'm not going to say this person's name and I'm not going to I have no idea who leaked this and n- no one does. But There's an interesting discussion happening about, I mean, I think virtually everybody agrees it would have to be a law clerk. The only people who have access to the decisions, as far as I'm told, and I was never a Supreme Court clerk, uh, are the law clerks and the justices themselves. Um, And now, does that mean a secretary doesn't see it on the the printer? You know, I I can't speak to that. But um, the odds are it's either a justice or a law clerk. And I just can't, I I just will never believe that a justice would do it. I just, I don't, I don't believe it. so there are rumblings about Sotomayor, who has a new clerk whose name we're not going to say, but that clerk has been previously quoted in an article by the guy who broke this story, Josh Gerstein. Hmm. And to correct something I said earlier, Josh Gerstein is apparently the justice, the senior legal reporter for Politico. The other byline on the case, there were two reporters, is the national security reporter. So they did have at least there's one of their legal reporters on it. Okay, and apparently this clerk also led the efforts against Justice Kavanaugh while at this person's undergraduate institution or at their law school. So we don't have any idea whether this is the person, but can I tell you something, Allie Beth? Quoted in an article by Josh Gerstein before is the best evidence I've heard so far. If I could tell you the number of times I've figured out who somebody's source is by looking back at other articles that person's written and seeing who they go to on this particular story or the storyline. And sometimes reporters are so, so stupid, they do it right in the very piece. They're like, oh, yeah. Allie Beth Stuckey wouldn't comment. But a pro-life yeah. advocate tells us the <laughs> so, Right. I, right. You know, I'll give you the yeah, last word They didn't it. cover their tracks. Yeah. Potentially. They potentially didn't cover their tracks. And, you know, I'm like you, just like everyone else. We don't know. I've heard the same rumblings. It was probably Sotomayor. I've heard I have even heard the theory. Again, this is a theory. I do not know this, that Sotomayor may have. I know you say that you don't believe that this could happen, but that uh, Sotomayor may have known this, may have been a part of this. Again, that is a theory. People are kind of speculating. And that's all we really can do right now. Um, And so I don't know. I think we've seen from the Democrats and from the left that the ends seem to justify the means for them. I don't think anything is out of the realm of possibility, unfortunately. Wow. Unbelievable. Ali Beth, listen, I'm happy for you, your side, all the advocates who have worked Thank so you. tirelessly on this. And I'm, I'm just thinking about the country and how we how we heal, how we get through this and how we keep things factual and stop the hy- hysterical hyperbole about what this means. You, you've been great. What a day, right? My gosh, what a day. Uh, some of my old conservative leaning legal pals have been writing me emails this morning saying they think the decision is stellar. They're very, very happy 
with its reasoning, with how it was written, with the points being made, with its, you know, how solid it is in terms of, you know, realistically getting attacked and torn down. Of course, the left is going to say what they're going to say, but uh, it's interesting just to get that reaction from people I know and trust and have for a long time. Thank you for trusting us in a day like this. Really appreciate it and want to tell you that uh, we're going to have much, much more tomorrow, including Senator Josh Hawley. He clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court. He's got some strong feelings on the leaker. And we'll have thoughts on the decision as well. And uh, we'll bring you that and much, much more when we join you tomorrow. In the meantime, download the show, The Megyn Kelly Show, on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. Go leave me a comment in the comment section. I still read them, and I love hearing from you. Uh, also, go ahead and subscribe at youtube.com slash Kelly, And then you can consume the product visually, and you can see today's show with me live at the SiriusXM headquarters Uh, with the former Attorney General of the United States. That was cool, too. What a great day to have him. And thanks to all of you for being part of it. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.